Well, hey, this is Robin. That's Micaiah. And you are listening to You Forgot One. Today on You Forgot One, the most recent album we have covered to date in the podcast, Frank Ocean's Blonde. Kai, before we get started, what do we need to know about Frank Ocean's second album? Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, it is the second album, but it isn't, because uh, there's Nostalgia Ultra, which came out in 2011, which was a beloved mixtape that has songs like Novocaine on there that people loved. I mean, it's really what allowed him to get to Channel Orange, like his first major label, you know, uh, studio album that, I mean, made him a superstar, like, overnight, like... All of a sudden, he's playing SNL. He's doing all the music festivals, you know, and he had already been and he continued to write for Beyonce and Kanye. And like, you know, it's just has just very suddenly was like the biggest name in music. It felt like at that time. And then he goes away and like another album pops up called Endless. And it's like, well, that was weird. And then like almost immediately after that, what we're calling the second Frank Ocean album, Blonde. And pretty much recognized in the music like journalism world as an instant classic. Mm -hmm. Like I think Pitchfork made a video called like blonde instant classic, (laughs) like, like just like geared up, ready to go. I mean, it's just, it's just one of those things that people heard it and they're like, this is special. This is new. This is unique. Uh, This is an artist who we've been just adoring for past few years. And he showed up, you know, after a bit of a hiatus or seemed like a hiatus, but it was actually just a long period of a lot of work and uh, delivered what seems to definitively be the best album. What Certainly, no, I don't think anyone would argue it's outside of the top five best albums of the previous decade. Yeah, top 10 for sure. Rolling Stone just named it in their latest iteration of the 500 greatest albums of all time, named it number 79. So appearing for the very first time on the list in the top 100, mm-hmm. um, Pitchfork named it the number one album of the 2010s, a decade where To Pimp a Butterfly also came out. And they Eliminate. said, yeah, I mean, the, the sheer number of albums came out in the 2010s. Pitchfork says this is number one. And interesting way for us to be so early into our second season, we have talked a lot in our first season of you forgot one about how you and I have a, a an approach to looking at albums, and this is a, a a hyper oversimplification. You and I tend to view albums from the standpoint of a holistic piece of work or a collection of individual pieces of work. Yes, and and so I, I tend to prefer albums that have my favorite songs. Mm-hmm. as opposed to an album that works the most cohesively. That being said, my favorite, probably three Frank Ocean songs are on Channel Orange, but Blonde is a perfect album. Yeah. I mean, this this is an album start to finish. It, it, there, there's not a big single on it. There's nothing on it that you're going to listen for and go, oh yeah, that's there's, there's the obvious you know club banger. Like, yeah, there's no song like that's the one he's going to play on late night or whatever on tonight show. But it is an album start to finish that 
maybe even more so than to pimp a butterfly it might be the best sequence best Hmm. flowing album to come out in the last 20 years and for i mean for an album that's like an hour long and has 17 tracks that's that's saying something yeah uh, that's yeah that's interesting I, i'm i'm so surprised and delighted that you said that because just a little peek behind the curtain on some of our early lists when you and i were talking about what to cover for this season you had you had channel orange on there for a little while and, and i did and again i because because for me i'm a big fan of channel orange mm-hmm. my favorite frank ocean songs are on channel orange but the reality is, you know, so in season one, I I nominated Channel Orange. In season two, I nominated Blonde. And the reason for that really, really has been, I just think that as, a, as an album, this is a, this is a, I mean, it really is. It is a, it is a perfect album. You yeah. know, it, it is, it is one of, it is one of maybe only 10 albums to come out in the last 15 years that I look at and I go, yeah, it's, it's, it's a flawless album. My, my only critiques of this album are, are incredibly small. They're, they're my, they're, they are, they are the critiques of the album that are critiques only if you want to listen to the album repeatedly, but as it, as a single one sitting piece of art, start to finish hour long, I mean, this this is a perfectly constructed album. Agreed. Which is why, of course, we are here. And, uh, of course, you and I are not alone uh, with, with these sentiments about this record. So uh, I have invited my friend here in Lexington, Kentucky, Dane Ritter, uh, who's going to join us. Uh, he is a poet. Uh, he also has his own music blog, which uh, I'm sure he'll talk about. And uh, we can, uh, we'll provide the Twitter handle and all that for everything uh so yeah dane um is 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 a poet and what i would call a frank ocean super fan uh so when it came time to think about guests for this episode i really only had one person in mind well with that in mind let's take a break and we're going to get you back in just a few minutes after we tell you about today's sponsor anchor and let you know about our independent record store of the week. And since we are highlighting uh, a guest from Lexington, Kentucky, where Micaiah also lives, Micaiah, why don't you tell us about the independent record store of the week from Lexington, Kentucky? Yeah, no problem. This is uh, one that Dane and I have visited, uh, stood in line for a record store day on many occasions, uh, CD Central. We're going to say more about it in just a moment, and then we'll be back with Dane Ritter. Well, you heard it from Micaiah. This week's independent record store of the week is CD Central in Lexington, Kentucky. CD Central is located at 377 South Limestone Street in Lexington. They are open Monday through Saturday, 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. and Sundays from 12 to 6 p.m. You can reach them by phone at 859-233-3472 or you can visit their website cdcentralmusic.com 
and order online from anywhere in the continental United States. Go check out cdcentralmusic.com today. I teach freshman English at the University of Kentucky right now. It's a very, very low-level freshman course. I have a blast doing it. All the students there. Um, I studied poetry at the University of Kentucky. So the main thing that I do is I write. I write poetry um, with a huge environmental focus. In my free time, I run a very tiny <laughs> uh, music blog with my friends uh, that I met in college. It's called Channel uh, Wave. We have a blast doing it. We put something out just like once a week for the heck of it. Sometimes the articles are completely asinine, like just anything we can think of at the time, lots of filler. So anybody who's listening wants to check that out, feel free. We need all the readers we can get. Hit subscribe. Uh, It's channel.wave, dot spelled out D-O-T, and wave spelled W-A-V, dot blogspot.com on Twitter as well. We've invited you here. I'll say why Dane is here because (laughs) once... um, when everyone got vaccinated, everyone being uh, Dane and his wife and uh, my fiance Molly and I, we went over to their house uh, and and Forest, their dog, and <laughs> there is a area of a small area of Dane's house that is a bridge between the kitchen and the living room that is dedicated to Frank Ocean. It was very clear and obvious to me that when it came time to talk about Frank Ocean, uh, Dane would have to be the one to come <laughs> on and do it. Because I have never seen that in my life. I actually and, I actually just added a poster, not in the same spot, over by the bar. So it's, Another it's Frank grown. Ocean? Another Frank Ocean poster, yeah. It's grown. So Okay, so, so an ever-expanding Frank Ocean section to his house. So let's start here then. You obviously love Frank Ocean. How how and when did you get into him? So it started the summer that uh, Channel Orange was released. 2012, I think. Um, mm-hmm. I was on the way back from vacation with my family. And uh, a little bit of come to Jesus moment. My brother and I growing up, huge John Mayer fans. Everything that John Mayer put out, we listened to it the day it came out. Um, any feature, any background guitar that he played, we were, it was on repeat in the house. So obviously Pyramids comes out and the last minute of the nine minute song is a John Mayer solo. So he's like, hey, you gotta check out the song. Will one get a future Shining like diamonds In a rocky world I keep, keep world I skin like bronze and I listened to it and was just, I could have cared less about John, unfortunately. Um, was blown away by the song structure of Pyramids and Frank's vocals in general. Um, I was drawn in instantly. I was like, well, what else has he done? 
show me more. Um, so spent the entire car ride just listening to the album on repeat. I've got some deep nostalgic memories tied to that album now. I, I think of high school every time I play it, which is awful, <laughs> but also great at the same time. Um, yeah. So yeah, just drawn in immediately by mostly the strong, the song structure, I think. Yeah. yeah. It's also an album that's kind of steeped in summertime and youth mm-hmm. and nostalgia, like everything before and after channel orange, really, you know, uh, blonde yeah. has a lot of that and nostalgia ultra, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I think there's so much innocence in all the songs, especially in blonde that I think unlocks that, that really, deep root of nostalgia and anybody that listens to it. Like it just taps into something that is so shared, I guess, across everybody's life experiences without mentioning a life experience in a way. He's just got a, such a, such an ear and such a writing style style for nostalgia that I think makes him so transcendent in that way. A, a, a certain sense of innocence, a certain sense of kind of uh, shared experience what else do you love about Frank Ocean? What is it about Frank Ocean as an artist that is so compelling to you? That's a, I could go on for days about what I love about Frank Ocean. Um, so in the very few interviews that he gives, uh, he always, one that's really stuck out to me, he described himself as a writer first. He always said that he approaches his music as a writer. Um, and I think if you look at his Tumblr um, from when he was active on that. And if you look at his open letter that was attached to the Channel Orange project and the whole Boys Don't Cry magazine, um, if you look at all that, there's so much writing that goes behind it. There's a script for a play in the middle of Boys Don't Cry um, that is just beautifully written. So I think me being a writer, um, appreciating prose and appreciating literature so much, I'm really drawn to his style in a way. Um, and second, I think from that same interview, he says something like, um, once I'm done writing, I go for a vibe, I go for an emotion and I tap into that and then the rest just kind of falls into place. So I'm really just, he's, he says, I'm really just trying to share that emotion that I'm feeling that I'm thinking of with that song and get straight to that point with the audience. So between that writing and that emotion that he's producing, I think it really um, struck a chord with me, especially when I started writing poetry. Um, how deeply simplistic, but yet so complex it is, and how much effort and thought and grace goes into it as well. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's Jay Z actually recently just said that Frank Ocean is producing the best music ever made because nobody else in the world has ever made music like him. So. I think how independently and unique it is really draws me in and like holds me there, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Just like you
As we think about Blonde, what is it that people need to know about Frank Ocean's career leading up to Blonde? What, what's the backstory that someone needs to know about Frank Ocean's career if they're, if they're approaching Blonde as their first, as, as their first experience with Frank Ocean? Um, I think if someone were to hop into Frank Ocean tomorrow and Blonde is their first listen, uh, they'd be really lucky because Blonde took forever to come out. <laughs> um, and I say that now, it's taken longer for, Makai and I were talking about this the other day, it's taken longer for this next album that Frank supposedly got behind closed doors in the fall. It's taken longer for this album to come out than it did for Blonde to come out after uh, Channel Orange. So the anticipation for Blonde was just unbelievable for summer after summer. In April of 2015, he posted a picture on his Tumblr, launched a new website, frankocean.com, and promised that the follow-up was coming soon. It was coming in July 2015, uh, and it was called Boys Don't Cry. July comes and goes, no album, no word from Frank. He starts posting on Tumblr again, just random stuff, and he's quiet for almost a year until... I want to say May of 2016, he posts what's like a library card, like this overdue library card with all these different dates stamped that everyone's assuming are all these release dates that have come and gone. Um, and one circled out with the, uh, it's, it says July, and then the actual date is scribbled out 2016. So again, we're promised that it's coming out. <laughs> and uh we're waiting and waiting. July comes and goes and still nothing. And then August 1st, people start logging on to frankocean.com. Um, and there's this live stream of this workshop and a figure, but nobody can really tell if it's Frank or not, walking on and off screen, building something. He's chopping up wood. Uh, he's planning, obviously, to build something. Um, the week goes by. It's pretty clear that he's building a staircase. There's rumors on the internet that he talked to somebody in a bar about how to build the staircase. He took wood shopping lessons. So nobody knows anything that's going on. We assume it's an album. People think maybe it's a visual project. There's songs playing in the background as he's building, but it's hard to hear sometimes because of the saws and the hammers that's going on. Um, so the, the attention is just absolutely crazy. And people think, Thursday at midnight, Friday at midnight, surely we're getting an album. It stops. Nothing happens. The live stream goes blank. Nobody sees Frank. <laughs> uh, and so two weeks pass. And August 20th at midnight, it starts again. You hear noises in the background. Frank starts putting the staircase together piece by piece. And then he walks up it. And then the, and the live stream ends. And that's it. And so... People are freaking out on Twitter. They're like, what's going on? What happened to Frank? Where'd he go? What happened to the live stream? Did we miss something? Uh, a couple minutes later on Apple Music, this new music video shows up called Endless. Um, and it's a completely Apple Music exclusive. Uh, you can only find it as a music video on that site unless you pre-ordered it from his website a couple of years later. Um, and it's 45 minutes of him doing the most experimental stuff we've heard from Frank Ocean yet. It's absolutely crazy. Um, 
but people are obviously disappointed 45 minutes after four years of waiting <laughs> from channel orange seems crazy. Uh, and two days later, Frank starts typing on Tumblr again. We get blonde later that day. Um, it's an incredible way, just that, a crazy tension. Uh, and people hated blonde immediately. Absolutely despised it because it was nothing like channel orange because it was nothing like endless. It wasn't anything that they expected uh, would hit on the radio. I just assumed Frank would try to find more stardom after his success with Channel Orange, and that just wasn't the case. So uh, anybody jumping into Frank Ocean, that was the long-winded of saying, <laughs> long-winded way of saying that they are extremely lucky because they didn't have to wait for such an incredible masterpiece behind Blonde. Um, and if they listen to Blonde for the first time, then immediately after they have to go and listen to Endless because the two are, are sister pieces, almost. Um, they recorded around the same time. A lot of the same collaborators. Alex G is on Blonde. He's also on Endless at times. Yeah, that they were born around the same time. He started performing some of uh, the songs from Blonde, not in the same way that we've heard them now, but with like a full band behind them in 2014, around the same time, some of the Endless songs popped up on his Tumblr. So yeah, there's, there's a whole sordid history behind Blonde that I feel like so many people need to know and understand to feel the pain behind the way right. <laughs> i thought that i was dreaming when you said you loved me the start of nothing i had no chance to prepare i couldn't see you coming the start of nothing Ooh, i could hit you now it's quite all right to hit me I want to go back to you saying that some people did not like it and did not like the new direction. Was that the kind of the vibe on social media that you were seeing vibe around like friends? So I was in college. I was in my junior year at the time that it, it came out. Um, and the, the night that it, I guess the night after that it came out, I went to a house party and somebody stopped me because I know how big of a Frank Ocean fan that I was. And they're like, and I was really hoping to play some Frank on the, the speakers tonight, but it's just, it's not full of bangers. It's not, it's not great party music. And I was like, what is it point to me one song from Channel Orange that is? Um, mm -hmm. I, I think there's just like this huge misunderstanding behind who Frank is as a person and the music that he's putting out. He doesn't want to be in the starlight. And I think all across the world, I, I, I saw on Reddit, on Twitter, on Instagram, people were posting songs from the album, but they're saying, this is the only song that I really can, can like and can listen to again and again. And it didn't really seem to change until I'd say five or six months after when year-end lists were, lists were coming out from Pitchfork, from Stereo Guns, places like that, where they're like, mm -hmm. Blonde is the best album of the year behind Lemonade by Beyonce. But I, I think it is because of solely because of the new direction and because of the fan base that was created by Channel Orange. A lot of us, a lot of Frank's fans at the time were either in high school or in college at that time and leaving college, leaving high school. 
and and the the rise of hip hop and the rise of of party music was so prevalent at those times and people wanted 2016 was full of great albums from crazy hip hop artists yeah. that were playing it that were playing at parties all the time so i think people wanted frank to follow that direction and that's just not who he is and i think that really turned a lot of people off to the album for sure it it was a year where there was life of pablo lemonade coloring book by chance yeah um Charles Gambino, that was that year, right? Uh, I think so. I think it was later in the year, closer to Christmas, that he put out Awaken My Love. I think Redbone was still, I think maybe that single. No, you're right, yeah. Redbone was a single yeah. at the time, yeah. Yeah, so like there, there were just other artists kind of in his peer group that were just releasing these like monster albums. But so I was looking at Blonde again, and I was like, oh, what, what if you took out kind of all the musical interludes and like the voiceover interludes you really only have 10 songs and the second half of those are kind of downbeat there's just more soundscapes and there are melodies for a lot of them it's like it really is kind of maybe a tough album who, absolutely for people who have been listening to coloring book all summer yeah. lemonade all summer and then to get something like that where he's there's like uh, like a dance beat over Stevie Wonder singing the Carpenters into a vocorder. <laughs> it's just like, what? What is this weird two and a half minute? Like I waited four years for Frank Ocean to sing over Stevie Wonder on a vocorder singing close to you on a TV show in the seventies. This is what I waited for. <laughs> you know, I, I can, I can, I guess I can understand, but I mean, for my friends, people were going nuts. Right. Um, and we, we are a bit different age. Like I, I was not, I was already out of grad school by the time it came out. So my friends, you know, my, you know, my, my music friends, uh, were going just absolutely crazy over it. Right. Uh, you know, right away. And um, I think if you look at some of the hits at the time, there was such a unique, like distinct sounds or song structure that was popular, like the classic verse, chorus, verse, course slash hook again uh outro that was hitting the radio i mean you look at the chance songs that were popular at the time Mm -hmm. um caroline by amine that was huge at that time that's what people wanted to hear and then like you were saying like weird soundscapes that are happening over the last half of the album with no distinct chorus skyline two is just frank freestyle singing (laughs) over this weird theremin synth sound for three to four minutes um it just wasn't anything that was ever going to reach the radio and i had nothing that was going to be that popular this is joy this is summer keep alive stay alive got your medal on we're alone Making sweet love Taking time The guy strikes us That's a pretty fucking fast year flew by That's a pretty long third gear in this car Gliding on the fire The deer run across Kill the headlights 
pretty fucking underneath moonlight now. Pretty fucking sunrise in sight. Comes the morning hunting us with the beams. So sustain as far as it used to be. It begins to blur, we get older. Summer's not as long as it used to be. Every day counts like crazy. Smoke. Well, I'll say that my first impression listening to the whole album start to finish, I loved it immediately because Nike's I loved. I mean, just me too. An incredible way to start an album. Uh, well, let's get, let's kind of get into Nike's then. I mean, it's he's a uh, he's pitched his vocals in a style that is similar to Prince's alter ego MC Camille <laughs> who, on on Sign of the Times. Yeah, you know the if I was your girlfriend kind of thing, right? Which you're know, like, I get this. I'm into this. I, I, I understand. We know that Frank Ocean loves Prince, uh, particularly the song um, "When You Were Mine," mm-hmm. and kind of like a lot of the kind of gender and sexual ambiguities of that song. Like, you know, I'll sleep in between you and the sheets, and all that. Because like, whoa, that's kind of a weird relationship dynamic, and it's not obvious what the the gender and the sexuality you know, between all the people who Prince is singing about, you know, and I think, you know, and that definitely comes out on this album too. Um, especially on um, self-control, you know, I'll right. sleep between you. It's okay. You know, it's like very much um, where Prince is coming from, but it's a weird start to an album because it, it kind of has one of the heavier beats and rhythm sections for an album that is, packaged as maybe like a hip-hop album or neo soul or progressive soul whatever we can we can have a debate over what (laughs) genre we put frank in um most of the tracks i think or for most of the time at least there aren't even any beats there are no beats i mean it's really just for a lot of the time sounds there's no drums yeah yeah, pink and white, like you know, there, there are very few actually like drum heavy yeah. songs, and so it's not uh, like I like to say for a lot of albums, it's not a toe tapper. You know, even when you're you're trying to get into solo, which is kind of the the most hip hop track maybe on the album, no drums, um, it's all like synth or some weird piano part by uh, James Blake, and it's hard to follow if you're just counting counting out and trying to follow the rhythm and the melody of that song, it's really difficult, which I really enjoy having a song <laughs> like, oh, it, it, I think it's technically like just like a standard four count. Um, but the melody is so weird that like you really have to pay attention to it. So if you, so those songs where you're like, oh, I'll, I'll sit down and I'll just like learn how to play this. And the moment you sit down, you're like, oh, I'm out of my element. This is like way more complicated than I thought, which, <laughs> which is what I love in a song. Right, you know that you think it's so simple until you start to like kind of break away all the individual parts, and you realize like, whoa, this is a very complex pop song. But you know, I'm also a Beach Boys fan. I, I think looking at this album from a musical theorist perspective is like a, a goldmine. Um, yeah, especially the the chord structure that persists in songs like Nike, and then we get that same chord structure flipped later in Future of Free. So mm-hmm. it begs if we didn't have that interlude at the very end with the, the recording from his childhood. Um, 
it the, the album would be begged to be played over and over because it's so cyclical but mm-hmm. um I, I i agree i think listening to it and trying to figure out all these different things that he's doing musically is just bonkers <laughs> for lack of a better word Hand me a towel, I'm dirty dancing by myself, gone off tabs of that acid, form me a circle, watch my jagger, might lose my jacket, and hit a solo, one time. We too loud in public, then police turned down a function, now we outside and the time is perfect, forgot to tell you, gotta tell you how much I vibe with you, and we don't gotta be solo. I stay away from highways My eyes like them red lights Right now, I prefer yellow Red bone, so mellow Fuck around, be cutting you Think we were better off solo I got that act right in a windy city that night No trees to blow through But blow me and I owe you Two grams in the sunrise Smoking good, rolling solo Solo Solo, 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 it's hell on earth and the city's on fire, in hell, in hell, there's heaven, there's a bull and a matador dueling in the sky, in hell, in hell, there's heaven. For us, this is the most recent album we have covered so far on the podcast. And even listening to the way you were kind of talking about what people need to know up front before kind of digesting Blonde reveals kind of just the the era we're talking about. Because again, there's there's this incorporation of his Tumblr and this website and on Twitter. Like, like there's all of these ways in which the way he's approaching it as an artist is so multimedia. It's not just here's songs. It's here's how you're interacting with it. Here's the art project that he's doing. And all of these, it's working on all of these different levels and all these things kind of build into it. And you were saying that like for someone who's approaching blonde, maybe like I am, who wasn't a Frank Ocean, wasn't a huge Frank Ocean fan prior to blonde, at least not enough of a Frank Ocean fan that I was kind of obsessively watching, you know, what, what's he posting on his Tumblr and all that stuff. Right. But there is something wonderful when an artist, you know, has has an audience in in is incorporating all of those elements into it. So it's not just like, oh yeah, the the release got delayed, the release got delayed. It's they're inviting you kind of to go on this journey with them. Um, right. and, and so in some ways, like having it all now almost you know almost makes me wish I had your experience where I could go back <laughs> and, and kind of have that like that, that excitement for it and that buildup for it and in the way that it all came out. That being said, it is interesting to me that going back, you know, really as early as 2013, you start hearing Frank Ocean talk about, yes, I'm working on my next album and I'm going to work on it with Pharrell and I'm going to work on it with Danger Mouse. And I'm going to like, here's here's all the different people and work on it with and and i'm going to record at abbey road no it's going to be recorded in la no i'm going to be in new york like and i'm going to work with uh uh, james blake and john bryan and and uh 
and, and Alex G and Johnny Greenwood. And, and I'm going to sample, you know, like at, at what point does all of it start to feel like working on like 30 projects at once that all kind of find their way into being what we have as blonde. Like, I, I just wonder for you, and, and, and obviously you don't have any kind of information about this, but as someone who's a huge fan, I'm just kind of wanting your take or what, what your best guess is on how, how we arrived at the album that we got as blonde, considering how many different roads he kind of went down to ultimately arrive at it. Do you, do you think it was just a bunch of like kind of stops and starts, or do you think it was just take a little bit of each thing? And that's why it sounds like this wholly unique, but incredibly and complexly diverse album. The best way to kind of dissect some of some of that question is to look at how people around Frank talked about the album um, closer and closer to uh, the, the actual release date. Um, his brother who passed away last year actually, actually was pretty active on Twitter um, and would give very infrequent updates about the album. Um, and Frank brought him into the studio one day. It was like, you're going to help me pick out which version of white Ferrari is going on the album. Um, and he said on Twitter later that day, there's 50 different versions of the song. <laughs> and the one that his brother actually picked, Frank was like, no, you're wrong. It's not going on the album. <laughs> um, uh, something, something changed and the way Frank approached music between 2014 and 2015, I think. Um, I mentioned earlier that we heard different versions of, of certain songs um, before Boys Don't Cry slash Blonde, it was originally named Boys Don't Cry, uh, was solidified as like an actual project when he was just recording music. Um, he, would, he would test out some of these songs at, at random shows in Europe um, we heard a version of Ivy and we heard a version of Siegfried before anybody knew the name of either of those songs. Um, and they were performed live with an entire band. They had a drum beat. Um, it's the guitar stayed in Siegfried, but there was guitar with Ivy as well and electric guitar. Um, full band, full house band uh, played this song with them. Um, and I think Frank talked a lot post blonde about experiencing writer's block. And I think that led to a lot of the delays and, and what happened. And um, so he, he reached out to different people. He, I think he felt like he was stuck in a rut um, in the way he approached music. And so that's when he started reaching out to people like Rostam, who was from Vampire Weekend, obviously. Uh, he's, he showed him Ivy, the original version of Ivy that he had. And, Rostam looks at him and he says, no, take away the drums. This isn't a song that has drums in it. Um, and so that changed, I think that started to change the entire album for Frank and the way that he started looking at the music that he produced. And I think probably 2015, when that started to happen, he was like, this album, this album isn't ready to come out. So uh, no one really knows what goes on in Frank's mind, even the his camp that he works with now his dj um vegan who has hosted his radio show with him produced nights and produced pretty much all of endless says that 
I don't know what's going on in Frank's mind half the time. I don't know when he's dropping music. You need to stop asking me and stuff like that. So he plays things so close to, the che- to his chest and is such a uniquely in his head person that no one really knows when that change happened. But how we ended up with this version, I think is beyond anybody. Um, it, you can look at different kind of hints that he's left us through how he's dropped Endless and how he's dropped the Boys Don't Cry magazine. There's a completely different track list that's in the contents of the magazine than what ended up on the actual album because it was pr- the, the magazine was printed so long before the album actually came out. It was already a year before he started shipping it out to people. And he's got probably tons of different versions of Blonde and, and tons of other albums. He said that he's got album five in the vault. He said that <laughs> three years ago. We still don't have it. Um, I'm sure he premiered a, a couple new songs 2020 and then most recently premiered a song Christmas 2021 that was just a freestyle. So I'm sure he's writing all the time. He's recording all the time, especially with the loss of his brother. He's got to process that grief somehow. It's just, it's like Prince. There's so much in the vault that we'll never get to hear. Yeah. I think yeah. he, that's the way he wants it. That's the way every day goes. Every time we've no control. If the sky is pink and white. If the ground is black and yellow. It's the same way you showed me. Nod my head, don't close my eyes. Halfway on a slow move. It's the same way you showed me. Fly, then you'd feel south Up north's getting cold soon The way it is, we're on land So I'm someone I hold true Keep you cool when it's still alive Won't let you down when it's all ruined Just the same way you showed me Showed me You showed me love Yeah, I, and I, I, think it's, I think it's safe to compare him to Prince um, and also to Sly, um, yeah. when when I think of Blonde, I think of there's a right going on. Um, someone who's in his head, maybe fairly reclusive, and someone who doesn't know how good his own stuff is. That's kind of the story of there's a right going on, is that someone had to go in there and stop Sly from recording over the tapes over and over again. And be like, no, don't lose that. Don't lose that song, Family Affair. Right. We need that. And he was like, no, that's not. No, I'm I'm recording over that. That's no good. I think a lot of the Beach Boys too, uh, and what happened with Smile and the yeah. Smile sessions, especially, um, what music was lost from that, and what music was lost from the, the Blonde recording sessions. Thinking of Prince when after he died, uh, kind of a vault release was, I think it was called Piano and Microphone. Mm-hmm. It was just like really raw really stripped back versions of like purple rain and like b-sides like 17 days it just like it gets to the heart it gets straight to the point of that song where it's just prince piano microphone gets straight to the heart of the song and when you strip all that stuff away on this record i feel like it just it goes straight to the heart straight to the soul like just like it hits you right where he wants it to hit you you know, just it kind of strip, you know, you don't want to be concerned or bothered by, you know, a bunch of nonsense. You know, it's just just a streamlining that, that that very evocative 
emotional kind of experience that he's trying to capture with his lyrics being his vocals being very upfront in the mix kind of very much in the forefront you know so putting an emphasis on the lyrics right not not losing them in a bunch of sounds but letting them just like hang out there with you and stick with you it's audacious um, yeah i be the boyfriend in your wet dreams tonight Noses on a rail, little virgin wears the white. You cut your hair, but you used to live a blinded life. Wish I was there, wish we'd grown up on the same advice. And our time was right. do top five songs i'm down and, sure and, and then in doing top fives kind of start opening up more about what we love love about this album by doing different songs absolutely i'll go first because <laughs> because my number one we've already talked about which is nike's already it's not even that long ago but i have such great memories like attached to it you know it's just one of those things just like it comes on I can feel the humidity of Florida. <laughs> I can I can smell it in the air. You know, it's I had, I drove a '99 Toyota Corolla with, with AC that didn't really work, so I had to have the windows down all the time. So, and I, and I listened to this album so much in that car. Um. So yeah, this song is just like I, I, I hear it not even as I'm hearing it in my headphones. I hear it how it sounded in my car when I played it. You know what I mean? Like that's just how deep kind of the the nostalgia goes i think um, it's i hate to interrupt you i think that go for the fact that you're bringing up the, the car specifically is very unique frank mm-hmm. is frank has an obsession with cars it's yeah he, he loves it he has several cars at all of his places in uh la and in london um he doesn't even drive them but he, he just has them the fact that you specifically are, are bringing up the car and what that meant to you really taps into to Frank's interests and Frank's intentions with a lot of his songs and like where it's supposed to be played, how it's supposed to be enjoyed mm-hmm. specifically the, the emotion that he's getting at, that he's always the way he's approached his albums. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll say, yeah, I agree. And that's going to come up. I, I have another car story attached to <laughs> Frank Ocean already. So that's a good thing you said that. Cause it's, it's going to come back. Um, number two, we've also already talked about, which is solo. Yeah. It's just, I, this is for me, one of my kind of favorite examples of Frank's use of words and language. There's something about that, that I just really, really have always loved. I, I would be surprised if this wasn't on all of ours, uh, self-control. 
channeling MC Camille with Prince with the vocals pitched and the guitar by Alex G is produced by John Bryan, who also at this time, you know, Frank uh, put out a list of his like hundred favorite movies, mm-hmm. which is something I do every year also. And so, yeah, looking at that and be like, this guy has better taste than I do in movies. You know, he's got <laughs> all these Wong Kar Wai movies. And of course he also has a number of Paul Thomas Anderson movies. So of course he has John Bryan uh, who did, uh, Magnolia and Punch Drunk Love. John Bryan had a great year that year between Kanye and Frank. Oh, yeah. Incredible. Well, he goes all the way back to late registration with John yeah. Bryan, if not college dropout. I think so, yeah. Yeah, and of course, in all the Fiona Apple stuff, I mean, he's he's the best. Yeah. This, yeah. yeah, so self-control, I think this is, for me, I mean, this is like, to me, in my mind, like a kind of a definitive quintessential Frank Ocean song. Because I think it is his when you were mine. Yeah, I don't even know how to talk intelligently about it. It's just, it has so much soul, but like Frank's voice, he doesn't have a big, thunderous, gospel-y voice. But hearing him strain a little bit and struggle a little bit, but still really push really hard to the best of his ability brings out what's great about Frank Ocean. Um, Maybe the best song on the album uh, white Ferrari going back to cars, right? This one's pretty explicit. It's about a car uh, or a car ride or numerous things um, like a lot of great uh, works of art. It's not about just one thing. Does it get better than this? I mean, like this is, and for it to come this late in the album too, what a, what a treat and what a gift. But I'll say on a, on a personal level with this song, few months into the pandemic maybe only a couple months i don't really know back when things were still real hairy um when when things were still pretty shut down uh molly and i would go for drives because that was the only thing you could do um and a lot of times there wouldn't be a lot of people on the road driving around and listening to blonde we uh we were in the mall parking lot which was empty and we just had the windows rolled down and yeah, it was just a great time of day. It must've been like five, six. So, you know, every, everything just looked as pretty as it could be. And I just remember thinking like, man, I really hope that when I look back on the pandemic and like the earliest, scariest parts of it, what I remember is not having panic attacks every time I go into a grocery store because toilet paper and all milk and eggs and water and food are gone and missing. And we don't know when this is ending. I, I hope so badly though. I remember is listening to white Ferrari with Molly in the car in an abandoned parking lot when it looks this, this beautiful outside. That's really sweet. And for a song yeah. that yeah, for a song that came out in 2016, it's now attached to, to 2020 and it is one of these kind of, great 2020 moments attached to attached to the song an album that i listen to pretty frequently and so it, it, it's a gift it's, it's a real gift mm. uh, that song to me now uh, which is which is great to have a song that i've listened to many times since 2016 many times and it can still give me something new i think that's a very powerful thing for a song to be able to do um, and then number five future of free the last track it just, oh man, it gets me so amped. 
it just <laughs> it just gets me amped, man. When those when those drums come in and I think his vocals great and the piano, it just yeah, it just it just gets me amped. I think it's great. The drop is great, and then yeah. you've got oh, yeah. the long silence, and then the most cathartic feeling with the the, the young Frank Ocean and his sibling and his and his friends and family talking. It's, it's just it, the the largest range of emotion within nine minutes is yeah. it's just insane. Yeah. So yeah, so that that that's my five. I know you love to talk. I ain't on your schedule. I ain't on your schedule. I ain't had me a job since 2009. I ain't on no sales flip. You say I'm changing up. I feel like Selena. They wanna murder a nigga. Murder me like Selena. You must ain't get the memo. I don't cut bitches no more. But your bitch, my exception. Come get her out of my photo. I only got one photo. Remember when I had that Lexus? No, my friendship don't go back that far. Tyler slept on my sofa, yeah. Niggas go back that far. I ain't smoked all yet. This the last song, so I finna wipe that off. Tolerance is so low. Still smoke a whole god. Menage on my birthday. Tap out on the first stroke. This ain't no work day. She don't give head anyway. Cause what niggas say, that's what she tell a man. What a difference this is making. Niggas won't fight in the streets now. Shit starting to make my answer. Jay hit me on the email. Said I oughta act my network. Dog, this is chess now. Now fetch, I ain't running for a nigga. Ain't ran since track meets. That's the only time I ran from a nigga. You can change this track now. Could've changed this bitch a long time ago. No, ain't no. No, and no. Shout out to Holly Grove. I'm from that seventh though. Twins, no, and Lance, no. Pop, no, and Matt, no. Shit went 180 on me. For for the better part of the last two years, I have been thinking about this a lot. Now there's there's a lot of projection going on here. There's a lot of there's a lot of me choosing to read these things into the lyrics more so than they actually being there. I, I I will for you know firmly admit that. But over the last two years, every time I listen to this album, I become more and more convinced that this is a concept album about death. Some of the experiences I've had doing funerals as as someone who's clergy by by profession, the funeral is an opportunity for the living to remember. And so there seems to be this kind of theme, this this kind of um, almost wake, this funeral, this 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 idea of remembering either a time or a person or an event, this, it, it's all about remembering something that is now gone. Um, not, not gone as in just the way that kind of like innocence is gone or youth is gone, but it's something, something that's gone that's never coming back. 
in this constant memory about that. And so because of that, that also plays a big role for me or big factor for me in my five favorite songs in the album. So number one for me is pink and white. The, that repeated phrase, the same way you showed me over and over again in pink and white. I mean, it's, is such a, it, 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 it's such a like promise to a person who is no longer with us. Like it is, it's, it's, it's a prayer to a memory kind of, kind of line. And and there's something so beautiful about that. And so you get this beautiful song that he does so well on, but it, the same way you showed me, it's this constant picture, this, this unknown, unnamed person that gets, that is, that is essentially being referenced. My second favorite is self-control. Just a phenomenal song. But I love the way even in self-control there, there is this like very Prince-esque. It feels like Frank Ocean is looking, is trying to figure out where he fits in, in a relationship or or fits in other people's relationship. Like almost, almost like even in these incredibly intimate moments being described in self-control, it, it almost feels like he's the third wheel in everything or like he's he's the outsider looking in he's the fly on the wall like he's he's almost the person who's not supposed to be there um and, and so again that this sense of death like this this sense of 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 like relational and emotional death um and then the same thing in my third favorite song in ivy um that this going back over and over the line the start of nothing the start of nothing in ivy this like it's this constant memory of of the death of innocence in this relationship the this relationship that was destined for 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 nothing this this relationship that was destined to fail in his way of remembering it is this constant line the start of nothing the start of nothing like at here here at the start of nothing nights is my 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 fourth favorite um which is interesting makai that you mentioned white Ferrari for this and thinking about a song to drive to like nights feels to me like the midnight driving song on this album. My fifth favorite song in the album, which again, like you want to, you want to talk about a, a song that sounds like a eulogy. Uh, Godspeed is, is my fifth favorite on the album. But yeah. So that's, that's kind of me. And, and, and really I, I, again, Maybe maybe that's something that the two years have played a lot into. But over the last two years, uh, the more I listen to Blonde, the more I see it as kind of a a, a really bittersweet album about death. I, I really dig that interpretation, and I think um, when a lot of people look at the album, they they ignore a lot of the other multimedia aspects. So I think it's really important to to look at the one music video that he did for this album, Nike's it ends with Frank being covered in a purple sheet wearing Nikes like the Heaven's Gate community did, um, the, the mass suicide there. I think that I, I really like, that's the, the one image that stuck out to me the most from that music video. And I think that I carried into the album, the first listening uh, that I gave it. And, and I, I think I'm gonna have to listen to it with that lens now that year for death. I I really like that. I will always love you 
how I do Let go of a prayer for you Just a sweet word The table is prepared for you Wishing you Godspeed, glory There will be mountains you won't move Still I'll always be there for you How I do I let go of my claim on you it's a free world You look down on where you came from Sometimes But you'll have this place to call on Well, Dean, what uh, about you? Okay, that's tough <laughs> Um, I think I'm going to throw some curveballs in there that y'all aren't expecting. The song that I listen to the most off of this album, so I'll rank it number one, is Skyline 2. Um, I think it is some of the best lyrics that Frank has ever written and the most abstract depiction of a moment in his life, but yet like so hauntingly beautiful. Um, and, and just enthralling. I I stopped the album the first time I listened to it and played it two or three times before moving on to the next song because I just I couldn't get over the the instrumental. I couldn't get over the way he was singing and and just everything that happened there. And I, as a poet, I think that that really stuck out to me how he was writing. There's also so much natural imagery. The start of Frank's career happened because of um hurricane katrina he and his family lived in new orleans the hurricane came they had to move to texas so his his life his career is marked by natural disaster and that takes a lot of precedent in the album as well we hear lines about that in pink and white uh we hear about that in nights as well a little bit later on in future of free and i think the moments where he's talking about nature and talking about greenery and and this the Congo and everything that's going on in Skyline 2 is not only antithetical to the, the picture that we might expect from the, the song's title, but antithetical to a lot of what else he talks about. He talks about cars, he talks about city life, he talks about partying and all that stuff. We rarely hear him talk about nature and, and what that means to him. So uh, I think that that song is really, really unique to me. Um, Number two, I'd say pink and white, um, because we get so much of that history behind his life. Um, the milk crates diving off a roof <laughs> into a pool. Um, and, and I think that there's the, the second verse especially really sticks out poetically as well. So those, those are the two songs that I'm drawn to the most and the songs that I listen to the most. Um, number three, white Ferrari. 
I, I sat motionless for a good half an hour after hearing that song for the first time. I was ruined emotionally. Um, there are times where I feel like I need to go take a cold shower after listening to it still. But why Ferrari really just can't be explained. Um, I think Micaiah said that you, you hear something new every time you listen to it. You get something new from that song every time you listen to it. Uh, a couple of years ago, if you listen to the very end of the song, there's this like faint drum pattern in the very back. If you turn your vo the volume all the way up, you can hear it. Mm -hmm. I spent a week listening to that song only just to kind of understand what that, what that drum pattern, why is it there? Is it a leftover? Is it a scrap from another version of the song? Who knows? Um, so I, I love that song specifically for those details and a lot of the details that came from his brother and the creation of the song. Um, Close to You, I have a lot of sentimental <laughs> value attached to that. That's the, the song um, that it, we did some blonde instrumentals that my, life, my wife, Lindsay, walked down to the aisle at our wedding um so i have a lot of sentimental value place with that um i love the original carpenters and i love stevie's version of it as well um i grew up on stevie wonder my mom played stevie in the car on the way to school pretty much every day i'm crazy about stevie wonder and my favorite musician of all time sampling him in this weird late night show that he did is just mind-boggling at times it was insane to listen to the first time number five <laughs> <laughs> you feel like like i you all were saying this too you just feel like the the words that we're not we're saying about this music just kind of feels like they don't mean anything because it's hard to describe what these songs sound like and what they mean to you because it's just yeah, so yeah. you can you can never grasp you can never explain with words just like you're just never going to get it out there. It's just like, Hmm, how do I explain how this makes me feel and why it makes me feel that way and how he's able to make me feel that way just by using sounds and melody. It's just like, right. I'm not, I don't know. It's, I don't it's a, know. It's a talent. Um, I'll say number five is nights. That's been my number one song on Spotify the past couple of years. So, I'll say nights. Um, there's the the beat switch was I think the the number one trending topic on <laughs> Twitter the night that it dropped, um, and then for a couple of years after that, the the thing to have in music and hip hop particularly was a beat switch, and I think that's kind of fading out now. But Frank did it in pyramids, he did it again in nights, and he does it in such a unique way that it doesn't feel forced and it feels like part of the album. So, um, sonically, I think Nights is one of the most interesting hip-hop songs, R&B songs, hard to label it, that will ever hear. Did you call me from a seance? You were from my past life. Hope you're doing well, bro. I've been out here head first. Always like the head first. Signal coming in and out. Hope you're doing well, bro. Everybody needs you. Everybody needs you. Ooh, nani nani. This feel like a quaalude. No sleep in my body. Ain't no bitch in my body. Ooh, beginning. Oh. 
Uh-huh. New beginnings, wake up high, the sun's going down. Time to start your day, bro. Can't keep being laid on. Know you need the money if you gon' survive. Every night, shit, every day, shit. Dropping baby off and home before my night, shit. You know I can't hear none of that, spend the night, shit. Kumbaya, shit. Wanna see Nirvana, but don't wanna die, yeah. Have we seen in just even the last few years Blonde being kind of one of the key influential albums of the last few years? Like, are there other places where we can hear like, wow, like this this career would not exist if Frank Ocean didn't pave the way with Blonde or this this trend, this whatever, this wouldn't happen without Blonde. I don't, I don't know the answer to this. I don't know if the trends necessarily stick out a lot from Blonde, but I do think a lot of the younger artists that he influenced are starting to kind of make waves. Mm. Um, there's the, the lead singer-rapper of the hip-hop boy band is what they like to be called, Brockhampton. Kevin Abstract is hugely influenced by um, Frank Ocean. Hearing people like Dominic, uh, I, I will pr- mispronounce his last name, Dominic Feek, who was on an episode of Euphoria this past week. He released a really stripped back R&B-laced album um, in 2019, I think. So we're seeing some of these, these people who, I guess in the absence of Frank Ocean, were in- influenced by Frank Ocean, trying to, to make their way in the, in the mm-hmm. industry and seeing some similarities, but adding on to, to what Frank created in Blonde, I think. Yeah, we were talking about the, you know, really thinking of him as an artist. You've seen this in the last couple hundred years where, um, you know, kind of a new school or a new approach to art, to, to visual art, to, to some medium will, will take off. And you normally see kind of, somewhere between, you know, somewhere between two and seven or eight uh, kind of contemporaries who um, kind of, the goal isn't to try to be like one another, but it's, it's clearly this, this kind of influence and energizing and, you know, subtle forms of competition, but really just this thing of like people that are kind of going to, to kind of equally push the button and so I, I, I'm kind of with you. I don't think, I don't think we're going to see a lot of people trying to do poor facsimiles of, of Frank Ocean. Um, but I do think that you're going to see a lot of artists kind of in this same generation who are um, contemporaries who, who are, who are in their own forms kind of pushing the boundaries and what they want to try. And so in that way, I love, I love on blonde that you do see, Kendrick Lamar and Frank Ocean work together because I, I re- it really feels like there there is that kind of um, Van Gogh Cezanne kind of like relationship where it's like they're not doing the same thing but there's there's clearly a, a relationship there and and that kind of that kind of thing of just people being imp- impressed and pushing each other and it in some ways reminds me of what the Beatles did with Brian Wilson like that. Um, that, that Brian Wilson kind of Paul McCartney relationship where it's just like, oh yeah, like, m- man, that's great. Let me, let me try to come in and, and do something 
you know, in, in my own voice. Um, but it's such a unique, it's such a unique point of view. It's such a unique voice. It's such a unique set of influences that I I don't know that you're ever going to see someone, um, who, who, who you could look at and be like, Oh yeah, they're, they're doing Frank Ocean. And in the same way that there's lots of people who have been in, who, who love Prince and who are like, Oh yeah, you can, you can see how Prince, you know, but, but there's no one who you look at and you're like, Oh yeah, they're Prince. Right. It's just its own, its own thing. Um, but no, I, I I love that we get to see that 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 Kendrick Lamar Frank Ocean thing that we do get to see on this album. It's, we don't get much of it, but I, I love the the bit we get. I, it, Frank's relationships with other artists is also just a unique thing as well. He has a lot of friendships in the industry without either party expecting like features from one another, or any kind of musical return on their relationship. No one in the industry has it seems like ever anything bad to say about him except for Chris Brown, but who cares about him? Um, SZA, who is obviously influenced by uh, Frank, his relationships with... Yeah, I was going to say, if there's there's one thing we can point to, at least recently, is SZA's song that also samples Elliot Smith. Yes. But it's a stream of consciousness song about Joni Mitchell, Mm -hmm. like also her grandmother. Just like yeah, I, I can see how Blonde mm. affected this, and like Pitchfork's uh, number one album of 2021, uh, Hotels by Jasmine Sullivan. Yeah, that album is also like okay, Blonde is and if, and she's on Blonde. Yeah, uh, she's 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 a part of that that record, so you can like definitely see how like okay, so 2016 is Blonde, 2017 is Control. And it takes, you know, a little while. 2021, we finally get Hotels by by Jasmine Sullivan, which is a great, a great record. I think Frank's presence and the release of Blonde just encouraged a lot of people to start pushing back with boundaries. Like mm-hmm. the industry shoehorns black artists into certain categories. And I, right. I think we saw a lot of resistance to that. Specifically, SZA has been very outspoken about that lately saying I don't want to make R&B music that's not what I'm here for right. and I, but we're hearing that uh, shift in her music with Good Days and the song about Joni Mitchell and her grandmother it's, a lot of artists feel more comfortable doing that because of the, the example that Frank said I think. the markings on your surface your speckled face Crystals hang from your ears I couldn't gauge your fears I can't relate to my peers I'd rather live outside I'd rather chip my pride than lose my mind Maybe I should move and settle Two kids in a swimming pool I'm not brave (laughs) 
So Dane, the way we like to end our episodes, as you know, uh, is we ask our guests their top five albums. Now this is open for interpretation. Uh, it can be the top five albums that you think are the best five. It could be your favorite five. It could be the five that you're listening to right now. I mean, we've, we've had people take, you know, different approaches to this. So what are maybe five albums you would consider the best of all time or should be up for consideration or five that you're like, you know what? And since Blonde is our newest album, five that have come out kind of recently is like, we need to keep an eye on this record because this could be considered one of the best albums of all time. I'll do five that I listen to probably the most out of okay. any other records. I don't know if that makes them the best, but in my mind, like the albums that I think have a lot, the most influence on me. And I think uh, sometimes they have a lot of influence on the culture as well. Brings up there with Blonde. Um, I'll just put that as number one. I think recency bias is a horrible thing, but I also come to it anyway. Um, Kendrick with To Pimp a Butterfly. I'll change it up a little bit. Jeff Buckley's Grace is an album that I play once a month. Um, I've been trying to get Micaiah to, to, to understand what is so glorious about Grace. It's <laughs> fine. You talk about unique albums and, and unique voices. Mm-hmm. Jeff is one that we have lost way, way too soon. I don't, no one knows what his, his career would have been become if he hadn't died so early, I think. Yeah. Um, Grace, Grace might be the most unique album of the decade because there, mm-hmm. there is nothing else like it. I totally agree with that. I had a hard time coming around to it originally. I liked his second album it was like the, the posthumous collection of the demos and the songs uh, songs recorded. for my sweetheart the drunk yeah i i found myself getting into that a lot easier the content mm-hmm. and and a lot of the sound because i think he that's more listener friendly in a way yeah. um but then after a while growing up i was like grace is something special because mm-hmm. it's really unique yeah i talked about stevie wonder earlier um songs in the key of life is something that i play very frequently um i know makaya is not that's not your favorite stevie wonder album um yeah well documented yes very well documented (laughs) um i'll do one more wow i think i'll go with beyonce's lemonade just because i i put that up there with 2016 2015 releases like blonde and pimp a butterfly um beyonce did something completely different with that album unexpected it left everybody shell shock in the culture and and across the world so um i think that changed a lot of that opened up a lot of eyes i think for how the industry paints women as well specifically black women and that opened up a lot more avenues for black women as well so i listen to that a lot um i think it's fantastic yeah I'll, i'll do that number five yeah that's a good list well dane we can't thank you enough for being with us and talking about blonde um this is an album i I think clearly that that we all love um but this is an album more so than anything else that frank ocean has done that it seems to be uh, very intentionally put together every decision made seems to be intentionally put together around 
this as a complete work of art as, as a whole piece. Um, so uh, we want to ask our listeners, we, of course, you're going to hear uh, some, some samples, uh, some, some pieces of, uh, of this album throughout our conversation. Um, but we want to encourage you uh, as soon as you turn this episode off, go and listen to the entirety of blonde from start to finish. And we promise it will be worth every second you spend on it. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for having me on. Thanks for giving me an avenue to talk about (laughs) my passion, Frank Ocean. (laughs) (laughs) Rob, I don't know even why I'm running this by you, but I'm, I'm curious about something. I was going through the Wikipedia and kind of looking at what, how people were were writing about blonde. And what I found interesting is that people weren't comparing it to progressive soul albums. Like there's a ride going on, which I talked about uh, with, with, with you and Dane earlier, but what they were comparing it to, I saw things like the Beatles. I saw the beach boys, particularly pet sounds. I saw it being compared to Kid A, and I even saw it being compared to Big Star's Third. And I just, I, I find that really interesting that somehow, uh, presumably, a bunch of white music critics are holding Blonde up to the canon of of kind of traditional rock artists instead of holding this album up next to other progressive soul or R and B albums. And I don't even have any conclusions or thoughts that I've arrived to when thinking about that, but it's just something that I found very interesting. Do you have anything to say about that, Rob? Yeah. I mean, so I I think that it's unfortunately one of those areas where, where we see subtle racism, you know, the, the idea of, here, you know, w- when you're looking at something and you're saying it, oh, it's it's really boundary pushing. It is, um, uh, it is diverse in its kind of genre influence. I think that there is a tendency to assume in intellectual prowess that's associated with that and. I think whether intentional or unintentional, I do think that there is a history of especially white rock critics and, and music yeah. critics to, you know, to, to, to want to make that compliment something that is also not intentionally self-aggrandizing, but, um, but <laughs> when they're thinking of, other things to connect it to they rarely think of great black artists who have done that when when you i mean look you could say you don't have to just go back to sly and the family stone like you can talk about prince you can talk about maxwell you can talk about um, about miseducation of lauren hill yeah i mean that's another one of those albums there's like is this an r&b album but she's kind of rapping sometimes also so what do we call this album and that's how kind of we were wrestling with blonde earlier. It's like, what style of music is this again? You know? Yeah, and, I, yeah. and I agree with you. Cause I think, I think what turned me off is 
reading some of the older reviews, it's like, it just seems like they're saying like, wow, it's so good. It's almost as good as white music. Now that they mean that, I, I, for anyone who wrote that stuff, I don't think that they mean that, but it, you can't help but kind of be like, is that what they're kind of implying here? Well, yeah, and that's, and that's where I think it's hard. And, that, and that's why I think that one of the things that, um, you know, and again, to, I don't know that two white guys are the ones to have an answer for this, but I think that it's why it's so important for, for, for people who look like me and you to make mm-hmm. sure that we are not just listening to contemporary voices that, that look different from us and have a different background from us, but I think to do the work to go back and make sure that we're being, um, that, that we're aware of and giving the appropriate due to the historic voices that, you know, that, that have paved a trail for, for that so that you don't end up in that same trap where you're like, oh, well, let me compare it to these great white artists I can think of. To, to, to say that it's a great album because it reminds them of Pet Sounds and not because it reminds them of you know, something, um, uh, speaker box and love below that kind of like genre defying yeah. landmark record. You know what I mean? And, and I'm, I'm with you on that. I also think that it is the, it is the purview of, of music critics to try to associate music. And so, yeah, I, I think some of it is also trying to find music to reference and one of the things mm-hmm. that I think his that really came out of our conversation today <laughs> with Dane was just this reality that this is an album that is really hard to reference to anything else like it, it is yeah it's so unique and it stands on its own and so it's hard to talk about it's hard to write about something that's this unique Mm-hmm. because so much of the language we use when we talk about art is comparing and contrasting it to something else or to come yeah, up yeah. with, you know, some analogous picture of it. Mm-hmm. And so for something this unique, for something that is this interesting and kind of compelling, but is also such a standalone voice, you run out of superlatives to throw on it yeah. And then you're and then you're left kind of searching for other ways of describing how it works. And it's hard to do that without referencing something else that already exists. Yeah, no, absolutely. At the, the, the most dramatic point, you know, it's just like it's kind of hard to wrap your minds around is it's almost where you want to take it. You know, not that it's impossible to wrap your mind around it, but like it, it does. And. I think when we listen back, we'll find ourselves like starting something and then being like, wow, I don't know how to finish what I'm saying right now because this album, the way I experience it has nothing to do with what I have to say about it. It's all about how I feel about it. So what am I trying to say right now? You know, it's, it's hard to talk about. I think that's the best thing we can say about it is that Mm -hmm. at the end, it is an album that elicits feeling more than words and so that's the struggle. That's the struggle trying to talk about this because all we can tell you is go in and take this album in. Yeah. Take this album in. Let yourself feel whatever you're going to feel with this album. And, and this album is really truly a piece of art in that way, in that how it's going to make you feel is not going to be how it's going to make the person next to you feel 
but it will be evocative for both of you. Mm-hmm. You will you will feel something, and it won't be the same. Yeah, and maybe maybe that's where we struggle. You know, the the nature of our podcast is thinking about lists and how we rank things, and and sometimes we can I think forget in that that this is still art and Mm. the purpose of art is not to be able to say you know five thousand words about it or Mm. write a book about it but but to experience it and this is an album that must be experienced and this is an album that evokes feeling and it is done so masterfully absolutely completely agree so that being said, come find us on Instagram at You Forgot One. Of course, our website, youforgotone.com. Listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts, but let us know what you thought of this incredible album and make sure that you follow our friend Dane Ritter and his music blog. And if you are on Twitter, yep, you can follow us on Twitter at You Forgot One. Pod, and you can find uh, Dane's blog uh, with his friends. And I've also contributed uh, a review on there as well of Sufjan's A Beginner's Mind. You can look for that. Tell me what you think. Um, at Channel Wave. Fantastic. And listener, we will see you back next week. Your dilated eyes Watch the clouds float White Ferrari had a good time 2016 how was i supposed to know anything i let you out at central i didn't care to state the plane kept my mouth closed we're both so familiar White Ferrari Stick a Close by me You were fine You were fine As slow Vibe Left when I forget to speak So I text the speech Less the speeds Text the speed Yes Basic takes its toll on me Eventually Eventually Yes I am eventually, eventually, yes I care for you still and I will Forever